Hello, everyone, and welcome to the GXM podcast. We take a good, hard look at news and topics around video game music and the intersection between the games and music industries. We're aiming to publish fortnightly, so please be sure to subscribe. My name's Thomas Crawfell. I'm a freelancer and game music fan, as well as community manager and A&R consultant for video game soundtrack label Laced Records. I also podcast with Kane and Rince. My opinions are my own. Joining me is journalist Matt Ombler, who's interviewed a bevy of composers, music artists and others across this space, with pieces published in NME, The Washington Post, Wired and many more. Matt, are you still glowing after publishing your piece with the Super Mario Brothers movie composer Brian Tyler? Yes, I am. And I want everybody to read that. So if you have not read it already... Just do a quick Google search for Brian Tyler interview, enemies, Super Mario Bros, or related keywords, because it was a genuinely um, really interesting chat. I think anybody who has watched the film and is into Nintendo music was probably thinking the same thing I was in terms of, wow, there are a lot of nods to like a massive selection of Nintendo melodies in this, and... I can confirm after speaking to him that Brian Tyler's gaming creds check out. He spent about 10 minutes just talking about how he used to remake marathon maps, which I think was Bungie's first game before Halo, um, just remaking maps from that game in um, Unreal Tournament Game of the Year edition, (laughs) which I just thought was hilarious. He also did the Assassin's Creed 4 soundtrack, I think, didn't he? So he's definitely one of those guys who, who hops back and forth across um, across games and movies and is probably therefore was in a, was in a good position to, to take on the job. Yeah, well, I think one of, the, one of the cool things that came up, because I was kind of thinking, obviously we've both watched a lot of game films over the years, from like Sonic the Hedgehog to Street Fighter to Silent Hill or whatever else. And obviously those soundtracks typically stray away from the game soundtracks, but he was saying he got the gig because the person who got in touch with him read an interview that he'd previously given where he basically talked about how much he loved playing video games. So from that, some guy got in touch and was like, oh, well, we're working on the Mario film we could really do with someone that knows Mario music to write this soundtrack for us so it's interesting because obviously there's probably a lot of film composers out there that are big gamers themselves and it goes to show that if they make those kind of opinions um public and kind of state their video game passions it can potentially lead to cool stuff also have scored an Avengers film in your credits Definitely helps. Probably helps. <laughs> <It> definitely helps. <laughs> um, cool. So what what else have you been listening to playing this week? So I've been playing Advance Wars. That finally turned up after buying it from the game collection, which once again, another pre-order that turned up a day late. Shout out the game collection for that. Thank you. Um, but I've just wrapped up my playthrough of the first game. So I'm going to jump into the second one. But... I kind of wanted to apologise because I feel like I've said to you quite a lot of times, I think the soundtracks for the Final Fantasy XIII trilogy are not very good. And for some reason, I just ended up listening to a load of music from Final Fantasy XIII too earlier. And I was like, I can't remember this music being in the game because this is really, really good. And I know every time I've brought that up, you've always said to me, how can you not like the music? 
in the Final Fantasy thirteen games. It's brilliant. So... It's the best thing about all three games, honestly. All three soundtracks are bangers for, for slightly different reasons, but yeah. So this is a public apology to <laughs> everyone who's heard me slate the Final Fantasy XIII soundtrack, and also you, every time I've said to you, no, it's bad, it's objectively bad, there's only like three melodies in that game that make reappearances, I take it all back. I don't know where those opinions came from. They were wrong. And I'm I'm sorry, Final Fantasy fans. I'm sorry, but what about, what about you? Are you still are you still journeying on with Persona? Uh, Persona Five. We're up to like 118 hours <laughs> in, in in 20 20 minute increments. And I've actually taken to much as I love the music, I've actually taken to listening to other Persona soundtracks yeah. now. So like um, going back to Persona Four because I didn't finish Persona Four, but there's just some earworms in Persona Four that just they're, they're just in my brain like that worm in Star Trek 2. They're just in my brain. So so actually, listen to Persona 4 tracks. And actually, you know, uh, shout out to Atlas for putting almost all the Persona soundtracks on streaming services. So on Apple Music, I've been listening. I just made this absolutely massive playlist. There's stuff from Persona 1 and 2, both versions of 3, both versions of 4, both versions of 5, 5 Strikers, all the dancing games, except I think Persona 4 dancing is not on... Um, stream service for some reason or I can't wait there's dancing games yeah 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 there's a dancing well because I think they create this you know new cast of characters for each of the big recent personas uh, well three four and five and then they, they sort of milk them by releasing other sort of sub games like dungeon crawlers and, uh, okay so three four and five each have a dancing game uh, rhythm rhythm game associated with them and uh, and yeah so I've been digging into that and uh, inching my way still through God of War Ragnarok, which I don't know when I'm going to finish that. How far are you now? Well, no spoilers. I'm quite far. I'm about two thirds through. I think uh, the middle section was a bit slow, but uh, I'll, I'll get there eventually. I just never get any time to have like a good two, three hour chunky kind of session. You kind of need that because of, of the way it's structured. But um, obviously still a quality sort of first party Sony big budget, big budget thing. But uh, it's been nice mainly just slotting in Little Persona 5 bits and bobs. And um, also, play, most of my time I can play, spend playing gaming is with the kids. And we, I've, <laughs> I made them play, or I've been playing with them Portal. And they've actually picked it up quite fast, really. <laughs> my seven-year-old's not bad at it. And they both like the GLaDOS, the uh, passive-aggressive murderous uh, uh, AI. Yeah. And they really love They've been quoting the turrets because, of course, the turrets have these cute little... Like, I don't hate you. So they've been saying that over and over again. But <laughs> it reminded me, Mike Moraski's score for Portal 2, and uh, I think he shared his co-composer on Portal 1, you know, banging electronic scores that don't really, they don't really sound like anything else. They don't. They just, I mean, the whole games are both so original, but the music's absolutely excellent. So uh, that's been fun. 
I've got to mention as well, um, before we dive into the news, just I need to talk to someone about this. So me and Zach went to, who you've met, who did the music for this podcast. Um, we went to the cinema the other night to watch the latest John Wick film. Somehow ended up in the wrong screen <laughs> for a 4D showing of the Super Mario Bros. movie. And we only found out, you know, when it gets to that point before the movie starts and the title of the movie comes up with the age rating. And at that point, we're like, oh, we're in the wrong film. We need to leave. But this was our first time experiencing 4D. And I don't know if you've ever been before, but it was one of the most intense things I have ever been through. It was Ab- have, you, have you been before? No, no, no. It was absolutely wild. So I thought 4D was just kind of like a little bit of water pumping out of the side because they have kind of like just things that spray water at you. But if you remember those theme park rides from when we were kids where like you'd have a screen in front of you and it'd be like a movie that plays and you're just getting shaken about from side to side, it is literally that. But I had a full pint and we only watched three 4D trailers until we realised we were in the wrong screen and had to leave. But during those three trailers, I lost a half of my pint just from being thrown around. So basically, I really want to go back and watch the Super Mario Bros. movie in 4D, and I think you should do it as well. Because well, I'll take re- the kids and get them. Take absolutely- the kids. They might die. <laughs> they might die during. Well, I was going to say, if you saw John Wick in 4D, you just get punched repeatedly to the head. Existential crisis. I said to Zach afterwards, like, I don't think we would have made it out of that film alive if that was in 4D. Like, how yeah. intense John Wick was, like, in 4D, would have come out just crying. <laughs> <laughs> because of the emotional content, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> Well, we, we have a bunch of news to, to get through again. I, I was worried that, you know, we'd have some quiet weeks, but <laughs> we just keep we just keep coming across, um, you know, our brief is so broad that uh, there's just so much kind of news that, that fits into it. The first news piece, really, the, the big one, I guess, is that the Game Awards has announced a 10-year kind of anniversary concert for itself taking place at the Hollywood Bowl on June 25th, 2023. And I don't know, I'm not going to travel over to America for that, but um, good luck to anyone who gets to go. I hope they put the whole thing up afterwards. It features music from, I'd say, you know, the biggest kind of mainstream games, interestingly, minus Nintendo. So they've got Arcane, which is the League of Legends show, and they've also got League of Legends in there. Diablo, Elden Ring, Final Fantasy 16, God of War, Hades, Hogwarts Legacy, Marvel Spider-Man, Starfield, Star Wars Jedi, and The Last of Us. So kind of no big, no indie games there apart from Hades, which I guess is good to good good to see in there. And then a couple of games that aren't even out yet with FF16 and um, and Starfield. So yes, we'll put the ticket link in the uh, in the show notes. Uh, Matt, there's something. There's always something that seems to be happening in Fortnite. What's what's happening this time? Fortnite never sleeps when it comes to music. So there are five new islands coming to Fortnite's creator mode, with every island designed around a specific track from one of the following artists, which is Kali Urchis, Glorilla, Youngblood, Willa, or Mira Mesa. 
This looks really cool because I like the idea of an in-game engaging experience being designed around a specific track. But more importantly, I think this is just the first wave of artists that are going to be doing something like this. Worth mentioning that Coachella also returned to Fortnite in April as well. That had a load of new music on the Fortnite in-game radio, um, loads of Coachella-themed items and other things to unlock. So it's cool because Fortnite obviously announced that Creator 2.0 mode, which now means people developing experiences for Fortnite can actually use Unreal Engine rather than just kind of going through Fortnite's generic creator tools. And I think now that there's more individual creators getting involved designing these worlds, I think we're going to see something similar to what happened with when Roblox was taken off in terms of you had a lot more startups and businesses specialising in development for Roblox. I think we'll probably see the same thing happening for Fortnite, and that can only be good news for musicians that are kind of trying to make a mark in the game. Mm. That are switched on enough to to get involved and, and be open-minded and think about these spaces. And have wallets deep enough to build these experiences in Fortnite. Because building in Fortnite is not cheap if you want to do something that's kind of up there with that hallmark of this is Fortnite quality. Yeah, or, or presumably these artists are kind of being pulled into it the way they might with a brand tie-in or something. Yeah. There might be some other money behind it. And just to add really quickly, Epic does have grants available because obviously they want to make Fortnite the destination for user-generated content. Obviously, it's a big rival to Roblox. Uh, Epic is giving out grants. So I think if music labels and managers have these ideas and go, look, we just need some money to fund development, if they've got an idea that's good enough that Epic sees potential in, the music is there to support the development of these experiences. But enough about Fortnite. Tell me about these Ivor Novella nominees, because it's quite a lineup this year, isn't it? It is. I happen to know that they've had trouble finding nominees for this category in the past, actually, which is why there's only, potentially, why there's only three here. But they're all absolute crackers and the, the, sort of the cream of the British crop. So the Best Original Video Game Score category nominees uh, for the upcoming awards uh, include British duo The Flight, who have obviously done a, a bunch of huge games now uh, and they've got two nominations or they're kind of they were composers for Gotham Knights and they are co-composers on Horizon Forbidden West and both have been nominated so congratulations to those guys also Mario and Rabbids Sparks of Hope is the third of three nominees and that featured a dream team of British composer but LA-based Gareth Coker Grant Kirkcope, who I, I think is also British and LA based, yep. um, and Yoko Shimomura, of course, cracking, cracking soundtracks, all of them. Uh, I've really enjoyed all of those so far. So to me, doesn't matter who wins; it's all it's just a great, great lineup. The Sparks of Hope soundtrack mm. spoke to Kirker and Kirkup about that because I'd never played the first game and never really listened to the music. I just knew that Kirkup had composed for it. But the score for Sparks of Hope is phenomenal. Yes. Like, genuinely. Like, do you know what I mean? You look at the game, it's a tactical RPG, pretty much, with Mario characters. You don't think it's going to have this grandiose, like, 
epic RPG soundtrack that you'd normally associate with like Square games or something like it is absolutely mind blowing. It is it is brilliant. And and as I say, a dream team, um, as far as composers go, I really, you know, my eyebrows went straight up when I first saw them uh them announced. Um so of course we had our obligatory Fortnite story. Time to <laughs> for our obligatory Roblox story. Uh I, I actually added this to the to the list, but I think Matt is much better positioned to to comment on it. Uh the, the t- top line of it is that Roblox creators can now make and sell limited run avatar gear. But uh, Matt, how does this actually work in, in practice? As from everything that I've read, these are basically called limited. So you can register on Roblox to create user-generated content. And the idea behind this is because Roblox has a secondary marketplace, basically a third-party marketplace where you can buy and sell avatar stuff for your for your Roblox avatars, whether that's outfits like T-shirts, merch designs, or weird accessories. You can buy and sell those, and with this, it means the original creators of items that are sold on the third-party marketplace will take a 10% cut from everything that's sold. I think this is interesting because there's been quite a lot of stories about artists who have made a lot of money through clothing on Roblox. I think Little Nas X made eight figures. Zara Larson made seven figures, according to an interview with the BBC. So obviously those are really big names, but there's an opportunity out there, I think, for bands to start pursuing digital merch strategies. And I like the whole idea of limited quantities. In a weird way... And forgive me for saying NFT on the podcast, but this is almost kind of like NFTs in the sense that you've got limited quantity items, which a lot of people will buy as a commodity with the intention of buying them to eventually flip. Yes, Roblox is a walled garden, but I think this is basically NFTs without the NFT labeling, right? They're not blockchain based. So, so there's no central ledger, and no, they're absolutely they're not they're not blockchain based. No, but it's the same psychology, right? And I think as well from being in a band, it, it'd be cool to hear your opinion on this. And I guess also with physical soundtracks and stuff. For me, when I was in um, Demoralizer, which was a metal band I played in for five years, whenever we we did very well on merchandise, mm. and we always used to do designs, and we we essentially do pre-orders. So we'd announce a T-shirt design, we'd put up a big cartel link, and we'd say limited to 200 or 250 or 300 or whatever else. And then if we got a couple of more orders, it wouldn't matter because we we had the numbers so we could print more kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? But by saying, basically, there's only this amount you need to get your orders in now because once we print this, we won't reprint it again. That strategy for us personally as a metal band worked really really well and i think there is something in that whole once we release this or print this or press this or whatever else that's it i think that does encourage people to buy and i feel like that's something roblox is aware of and these limited items will do quite well on third-party marketplaces as a result what do you think yeah so it's worth clarifying that the 10 percent cut um, is when they're resold, mm. and so that's the the kind of the the smart contract bit of the NFT idea is the idea that the artist could, or whoever 
creates the NFT could continue to benefit down the line, even when the thing's been resold. And here they're, they're kind of doing that, they're factoring that in within the platform. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, if they're doing well, they're doing well. That's fantastic. Me personally, I might be a bit too old to kind of appreciate digital limited yeah. items. They don't, you know, it doesn't hold much appeal, but, you know, a, a limited T-shirt for a, a, an artist that meant a lot to me would be much more appealing. And obviously, for a little bit of context, at the moment in the music industry, there's a lot of kind of PR effort to shame venues into handing over the full merch cut of yeah. T-shirt sales and things like that at venues where there's a gig and so there's a bit of a battle of words over that. I mean, there's been really enormous bands involved with this as well, haven't there? Like, uh, I think I saw Metallica somewhere have been doing something. What What's that about? So I looked into this. Uh, Metallica have basically just put up... So they've released a new album, right? Which is great. I'm not a Metallica fan, but the production on that album is ridiculous. The crispest sounded cymbals I've ever heard with that typical gunshot Metallica kick and snare. But anyway, to promote the release of this album, um, rather than building a new experience in Roblox, which is what a lot of bands or brands or festivals do nowadays, they went, let's be smart. Let's cross promote with a couple of the biggest Roblox games. So this was basically, if you went into some of the most popular Roblox games, there were Metallica-themed quests where when you did those, you could then unlock merchandise. But the Metallica merchandise was also available to purchase through the Roblox store. It's worth mentioning that these aren't limited items, but I did get curious after seeing Metallica in there because I kind of thought, okay, Metallica, that's a... It's a big band making the way into Roblox, and it's also, as someone who's a self-confessed metalhead, I've not seen many metal bands doing stuff in Metallica, so I started to search stuff, and it became apparent that there's a lot of bands on Roblox who have merch up there that is being created and sold by just randomers, you know what I mean, that have nothing to do with the band or the brand. But what happens with Metallica is when you search Metallica in the Roblox avatar store now, their merch comes up right at the very top. It's official. People are less likely to buy the bootleg stuff that's on the store. So my takeaway from this basically is if you're a manager, if you're a label, if you're in a band and you're big enough to kind of warrant having these strategies in place, definitely get something sorted for Roblox. Because if you're not, people are just going to upload that match themselves and you're missing out on their sales. You know what I mean? Well, then the argument should be, well, shouldn't there be some kind of control or copyright control on there from Roblox? I'm imagining there yeah. probably isn't isn't that much, no. uh, I'm guessing. <laughs> IP protection, which has always been the way on the internet, really, with, with platforms that have gone big, YouTube and, and whatever else. It's just that it gets big, it gets a bit unruly, and then when there's value to be made, the kind of the copyright holders, IP owners come in later and sort of... Some are opportunistic, some are overprotective, and um, yeah, it all kind of you know goes one way or the other. I like I like the idea of do you know how you get the bootleggers outside yeah. concerts, like all of those, like hearing that there's a Roblox festival or like virtual concert that's going to take place, and just all of them rushing to develop all of these bootleg merch lines, like four or five days. Well, you you joke, but I mean that that's 
perfectly possible. I, I can imagine. I don't know. Yeah, I, I can see that happening. I've got a business idea I'll need to pick your brain about after this call, if that's all right, Tom. Just <laughs> completely unrelated, but yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I've always thought of myself as a bit of a, you know, entrepreneurial type. Last news story, uh, relatively straightforward one, but quite impressive, I must say. The new Samba Day Amigo track list has been announced. That's Samba Day Amigo Party Central. Uh, that's obviously the first game was, I don't know, 1999 or something, 2001. I can't quite remember. Arcade and Dreamcast. Sega are bringing it back and actually Sega have been pushing rhythm games sort of quietly in various ways over the years, mm. uh, or encouraging rhythm-based uh, um, mechanics in games and stuff and all kinds of experimental games, especially back in the in the Dreamcast days. But um, the artists for Party Central include Ariana Grande, Carly Rae Jepsen, Miley Cyrus, Pitbull, Diplo and Rina Sawayama. Those are the biggest pop artists around, some of them really. I mean, that's a really kind of confident yeah big track list and this will get you excited matt they've got uh, of course some uh, sonic the hedgehog series music including sonic adventure 2's escape from the city Bang and uh, another one from sonic forces but uh, how are you feeling about that that's a i mean you'll know as well like deals like this are not easy to do when you're talking about the likes of ariana grande and kylie ray jepson and miley cyrus right so whoever has led on the sink for this hats off because that is an absolutely stonking soundtrack like that's brilliant and the fact as well you know what if if sega goes down the final fantasy t at rhythm way of doing things in terms of there's a nice steady flow of dlc post release where they can bring in more songs from other sonic games and other sega games I am going to end up spending a lot of money on this. <laughs> I think they will. I think they will. It makes sense. I think this is just the first announcement, mm. uh, to be honest. So I think they've got more to come. Yeah, it's actually, when you think about it, I mean, Samba Day Amigo is a pretty niche niche thing to then have convinced these huge artists. So it's a, a really impressive uh, feat. And actually, it seeks nicely into our topic for this week. <laughs> So we've got a, an excellent topic this week, and I think Matt's going to kick us off with some stats, but I will tease everybody by saying that we're going to be talking about uh, discovering music through video games. So Matt, what is it that sort of inspired you to want to chat about it? What's the thesis? I was browsing the net and happened to discover Deloitte's 2023 Digital Media Trends Report. We'll put a link in the podcast description, but there's some really cool stuff in there covering all of the different touch points of how people interact with digital media, the links between TV shows, movies, streaming, music, gaming, all of that good stuff. But the thing that stood out most to me was there was a statistic in there saying 49% of gamers discover new music through video games. And that was a base of just under 1,200 gamers. Some people could be cynical and perhaps say, oh, what, gamers discover new music through playing video games? But I think considering how diverse 
people are now, in terms of calling themselves gamers, like gamers refers to everybody from like kind of casual mobile players to like hardcore people who play Counter-Strike and League of Legends or whatever else, right? And Mm. just because you're playing a video game, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be exposed to music. There's plenty of video games out there that don't have a really solid push on music. So personally, I feel like 50% pretty much of like nearly half of gamers discovering new music through the games that they're playing. I think that goes to show the importance of video games as a exposure and music discovery platform, which you'll know more than most people having to listen to me go on about how much I love games like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and FIFA and SSX and all of that for introducing me to bands. It just really shows that this wasn't just a trend in the late 90s and early noughties. This is something that is still very prevalent today. So what were your thoughts on this when you heard about it? Uh, Well, 49% does seem nicely high i'm not you know it's not glass half empty it's definitely glass half full on that stat in particular and yes i've heard many 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 times from you about how much you've enjoyed uh well how you still listen to artists from tony hawks and and other games and uh you've just been particularly attuned to that and um we were actually going to tackle a different topic today but this was going to be in the news but you you'd already asked put the call out for people to sort of suggest to us music they discovered from video games and it felt like I know this is a passion area for you so I, so we suggested the last minute to to swap it in and park the other topic and and then I started thinking about my own um, experiences and I think the late 90s is is it's definitely important right because it's when CDs started being used for video games uh, for PC a little bit earlier but but for consoles then with the PlayStation obviously uh which opens up the chance for you know to actually include the music file of commercial music potentially uh, you think about Wipeout you think about Gran Turismo um so that that latter half of the 90s deserves its reputation as a kind of you know when games started really engaging with music artists. Like I remember Gran Turismo 1, it's probably my strongest memory of not necessarily discovering music, but sort of discovering these bands because I think they were really well known, like people like Manic Street Preachers, Garbage, Ash and Feeder. I already knew about them, but it reinforced my love of either the song itself or the artist uh, and sort of made me sit up and pay more attention. And then there's always been examples, I think, since then of uh, people really falling in love, sometimes with just one song, but but they'll still recall the artist. I think probably the most famous is Red Dead Redemption, the trip to Mexico, uh, journey into Mexico with Gonzalo, the Gonzalez track. You know, you always hear people talk about that one. Pushing forward through the night so far so far away it's so far so far away 
as a, a sort of a powerful music moment. And yeah, so and we've just we carried on seeing you know really big developers engage with music. Death Stranding comes to mind. When the Deloitte question says new music, do we think that's literally new music, music recently released, or do we take that to mean music that's new to the person at the time? I took that to mean music that's new to the person at the time only because even though there are a lot more artists debuting music through video games now, I don't think we're at that point yet where it's a normality, right? Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's not like the new FIFA soundtrack comes out or the new Need for Speed or Gran Turismo or Saints Row or whatever else comes out and every single track in that soundtrack is a new track from an artist. So that's quite a hard thing to do. So I think in this case, it specifically means, have you played a video game and discovered music that you weren't previously listening to? And me, like again, like I could go on about how I wouldn't be sat here talking to you now and doing this if it wasn't for the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater games, because they got me into a metal band. That metal band introduced me to loads of my best friends. That led to me touring around the UK and Europe. That led to me writing about video game music because I took my passion for gaming and music to try and turn it into something. So there's all of that. There's the fact that even today I'm playing games and discovering new music. Like I've never been a massive Bring Me The Horizon fan, but that track in Death Stranding... I was like, this is brilliant. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is a re- this is a really good sync. This is really really cool. I think those were composed, weren't they, for yes, the game? I think yeah, with yes. churches and and some of yeah. the other artists, yeah. So I think, but that's that's also a really good point, right? Because it's not just a case of bands are syncing their stuff in the same way they have been doing since the 90s. It's now a case of you've got people reaching out and going, we've got this game coming out. We're a big fan of your music. It'd be really cool if you could do something. So there's Death Stranding. There's still on the topic of Bring Me The Horizon. Um, You mentioned Gran Turismo earlier. The main song in that, composed by the guitarist of T-Square, I think it's called Moon Over The Castle. Bring Me The Horizon did a cover or a remix of that for the latest Gran Turismo game. is just hilarious because it's that bring me the horizon heaviness you know what i mean like when you think of that song which is set essentially a jazz fusion kind of like j-rock song and all of a sudden it's got these crushing breakdowns in it's just hilarious (laughs) but also bands scoring full game soundtracks and not just licensing tracks so i think two of two of my favorites and i'd love to hear your thoughts on this is daughter doing life is strange before the storm one of my favourite game soundtracks, and obviously 65 Days of Static doing 
No Man's Sky, which, if you want the soundtrack for a game set in space with a procedurally infinite generated number of planets, get a noise math rock band from Sheffield to do it, and they'll know. What, <laughs> do, you know do you know what I mean? That, that's the answer. Um, I'm quite close to that one, just because when I started working with Laced Records in 2016, that was the the vinyl and CD and digital release that was kind of coming up at the time so i had to become very familiar with it very fast um and then and then the reviews for the game came out and it <laughs> but uh, definitely the game has uh, recovered its reputation and i think everybody always loved that uh, that soundtrack and that band went on to do a tour didn't they with that music so yeah it was a really kind of close tie-in i mean yeah we've had in recent years berlinist uh record did the soundtrack for greece japanese breakfast for sable oh forgot about that and and that's that has happened quite a few times Kua de Pirate in for Child of Light. I hope I'm pronouncing that artist's name uh, correctly, but that is a. I think they were a singer-songwriter um, for that one. I mean, yeah, there's actually... There's so many ways... There's almost too many ways to attack this because there's always been great jukebox games. I think yeah. of Hohokum, you know, Hotline Miami as a, as a sort of soundcloud uh best of independent artists that nobody had heard of at the time and then putting together this kind of insanely well aesthetically coherent soundtrack that matched the mood of the game and the soundtrack almost became bigger than the game in some ways certainly the the style of the game of hotline miami and the and the artists on there but you know for some of them have said you know it that's they owe their careers to it, really, in terms of their music careers. Um, so we've always had games where music gets licensed in, FIFA, Grand Theft Auto, the, the biggest examples. And then we've had now artists showing a lot of respect for video games and actually getting involved, composing the soundtrack or writing original songs for it. Um, there have been, I guess, definitely older tracks and genre-specific things we've heard so you think of Grand Theft Auto, was it three that had a jazz and a classical station in yep. particular? But they've always done well with, you know, reg whether it's a reggae station or whether it's like a, a, a rock station in Grand Theft Auto. And of course, Fallout, the Fallout radio stations specifically go for, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s jazz with that that fallout feeling and i'm sure a lot of people discovered songs that you know in that case they really never would have potentially they're su such old songs such classic songs in a way that people never would have thought to go and listen to those and now associate them with fallout and, and bioshock to some extent with uh yeah are there any any that you can think of like that in that style where it's kind of specifically music from outside the obvious pop genres or the obvious kind of time period um, where where people might discover stuff that's new to them. I think Fallout deserves a special shout out and that's got quite a close place in my heart for a couple of reasons. So one, there was a song that my grandma always used to sing, something, something, I've got, I can't dance, I've got ants in my pants. And she just used to sing that all the time, which is obviously like an old jazz song. Bobby, I can't dance. Got ants in my pants. I can't dance. Got ants in my pants. And I never knew that song because it was never on the radio, but she just always used to sing it when she was cooking in the kitchen. And then I heard it in Fallout about 
six, seven years after she died. And I was like, oh, wow, this is a really nice thing, you know, like reconnecting with his old music. But me and my friend Perdy, like we spent a lot of time playing, uh, we're just in party chats on Xbox and we used to play Fallout 3 together. And when we go to the pub now or go on nights out, we'll still sing the Fallout songs in like silly voices like, I say I move the mountains or <laughs> I don't want to set the world. Well, all those songs, well. they're all stuck in our head. Do you know what I mean? They're all there. But I think there's an important thing about using licensed music as a sonic identity and like as a brand thing, right? That's like another important thing. So if you look at the WWF, WWE, SmackDown games, they obviously use a load of rock metal and alternative music because a lot of the people that are into wrestling also listen to alternative music there's a series of snowboarding games released on the xbox 360 called amped and i only got into those in the past three or four years never actually played the games growing up but they've got the most eclectic mix of like emo and math rock and all of the bands that I listen to now that I just can't believe are in a game like that at the time. Do you know what I mean? And then obviously you've got Life is Strange, which is synonymous with that kind of chilled back indie rock folk. Acoustic guitars. Yeah. yeah. Sufjan Stevens, Message to Bears, everyone like that. And I just, there's so many cool soundtracks out there. I, it, it's good when you've got the big games, right? Like, you've got your GTAs or you've got your FIFAs where there's always going to be some really big bands in there. But I like it when soundtracks really hone down on like a specific vibe mm. to kind of match the mood of the game. And I, and I think they're, they're my favorites. Yeah. And, and when you say about branding, Sonic branding, uh, which is an interesting idea, actually uh, Cyberpunk 2077 has quite an impressive kind of radio soundtrack of, I believe they've, like Death Stranding, they've asked, you know, current, uh, interesting current artists to produce stuff. But I believe it's supposed to be diegetic, so the lyrics even kind of match the world of cyberpunk. But the other aspect of this, of course, is is trailers, you know. And, and I remember vividly the, the song from the Cyberpunk 2027 reveal trailer back in... 10 years ago now, 2013, uh, which is Archives Bullets. think a completely unknown track like it's quite a catchy track i guess that it would have been quite well known at the time to certain like genre fans but i can still you know remember that hook and i haven't seen that trailer for years uh, and then there's a couple of others that i really i say you know fell in love with the song um it's not that i didn't know the bands that I, it's not that i was discovering the bands i was definitely discovering the song um, there was a Metal Gear Solid 5 trailer, again from 2013, GDC trailer. No response, hit him again! Clear! 
How's he doing? Well, he's stabilized, but it took too long. He's in a coma. What about him? Uh, which garbage is not your kind of people. Now, we know Kojima, for instance, loves, you know, particular songs. You've got Star Sailor in Metal Gear Solid 3. Um, he just sort of has an ear for something that he likes. And I, I think he, he cut the trailers as well or, or, you know, had a heavy directorial hand in them. So it's fairly safe to say that he probably picked that song or was very keen on it. And uh, I fell in love with it. The first time I saw that trailer, I thought it was an amazing trailer. Um, and yeah, the song just lodged itself in my brain. I had to literally listen to that song over and over every single day for a good like two weeks. And that only happens when a piece of music or a song has has really affected me. And uh, and another one I remember is I'm not the biggest Imagine Dragons fans. I know they've done a lot of video game related stuff, but they have a sound. It's not a sound I prefer all of the time. But again. Uh, a very punchy trailer, uh, Ghost Recon uh, Wildlands. It must have been 2014, 2015, I can't remember. Uh, the song Friction by uh, Imagine Dragons really wedged itself in my my brain. Get down with the victim We both know you need them You're stuck in the middle Of all Um, obviously, trailer music, you're, you're going to tend to get very heightened emotion. Yeah. So so those songs are going to be very punchy. People remember Mad World, of course, from that famous Gears of War oh. trailer. All around me are familiar faces, worn out places, worn out faces. Hide my head, I want to drown my sorrow No tomorrow, no tomorrow And I find it kind of... Um, and I might have been discovering, because that was an 80s song, it was a cover of an 80s song, so and people... Uh, that, that became a huge hit, that version of the song. I can't quite remember how that... The, the kind of the timeline of how that worked out, but it's definitely a, a sort of one to remember. So are there any trailers you can remember? Any songs from trailers? Yeah, so trailers specifically, it was the trailer for The Amazing Adventures of Captain Spirit, which is the, I guess, prequel spin-off to Life is Strange. That has a Sufjan Stevens track in it. Breakfast. Milk mission accomplished. I try to lie. Behold the flying fortress. I'm a superhero. I am a super zombie. And I heard that watching the trailer, and genuinely, I've got goosebumps now talking about it because that was my first time I'd listened to Sushant Stevens properly. And I was just like, I, bearing in mind, like, I was I like, you know, I'm like a massive, like, Life is Strange fan anyway. You're big softy. <laughs> I, I really am. It's just the music in the game, and it's so good. But 
I wa- I remember watching that trailer and looking at Lizzie was sitting next to me, my fiance, and I was like, this is so, 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 so good. And I've been a massive Sufjan Stevens fan ever since. Like, listened to all his albums since. Um, and similarly, there was I Like It when whoever's supervising these soundtrack trailers on the sound, I like it when they flip something. So there was a Dark Souls 3 trailer. It's True Colours because the trailer was obviously typical Miyazaki, dark, white, blacks, all that kind of thing, and it just worked perfectly. Well, that is the classic... I mean, that's a a Hollywood thing, isn't it? Yeah. Where you get a female vocalist and some moody piano, lots of reverb, and then you take a famous 80s pop song or 90s pop song where the core lyric is meaningful to the story of the trailer or the story of the game. I mean, that's quite a common trick. Wasn't that Assassin's Creed Unity, I think, pulled that trick as well? On your best behaviour Turn your back on Mother Nature Everybody wants to lose Yeah, also fantastic, but you mentioned Mad World. And I wanted to ask, because obviously that track plays in game as well. Oh, does it? I didn't I didn't remember that, yeah. During, yeah, so during Gears of War, I think it's Gears of War 2, where, I don't want to do, I mean, it's 2023 now, spoilers, but just in case, a very important character disappears. <laughs> and that song plays, and I was like, wow, this is really really well done so you mentioned that and i just wanted to ask are there any are there any particular moments you can think of in game where a track has dropped and you've really thought wow that's a really really good placement because obviously a lot of people think about licensed game soundtracks and you think about the stuff that plays on the radio or whatever else but there's a lot of games that license music for specific narrative moments I'm struggling to think. I did a listicle on this and laced it a while back, I think. That Red Dead Redemption moment is actually a different song um, called Compass by Jamie Lydell. And now I know the only compass that I need is the one that leads back to you. And I know and uh, I you know, learned more about him afterwards, after that game. That was a really good... It was a needle drop, essentially. Like, you, it was a, it was the game saying, right, okay, you've done this particular quest, you're on this, you're travelling between these regions, now's the right time to put this track in. And that really hit me. That's a great track. But actually, to be honest, it's the jukebox, it's the ideal thing for those jukebox soundtracks like Grand Theft Auto, that, that a particular song might have a particular moment. So Grand Theft Auto San Andreas... Learning to fly planes, uh, I think it was a crop duster or something over the desert in Nevada and, and getting to know the Who's Eminence Front. There's various other tracks. I think it's when you're doing some of the trials, like the bike trials or something, and you happen to have a particular radio, or they switch you to a particular radio station. 
and uh, I think uh, got caught uh, caught stealing by Jane's Addiction. Uh, really, I just got to know that song really well, doing the same bike things over and over again. Interestingly, I think it might be starting starting. I think in the streaming age. I think the actual bond or the, the remembering the artist name might be starting to weaken slightly. At least it has been for me. So like I played Charles Fusion recently and a particular rock song, a particular riff really caught my ear. And I'm, you know, I didn't, I must have shazammed it or something. They actually tell you what the song is actually in game. It's quite helpful. And I think I stuck it in a playlist on Apple Music and I didn't internalise the artist name. Yeah. I don't even know the name of the song. I just know I enjoyed it. I saw it from a game, put it straight into my personal playlists, but I didn't, you know, I didn't absorb who the artist was or particularly check out any of their other stuff. I'm terrible for that. I think that's just a, I think that's just a modern music consumption issue thing. Do you know what I mean? The way we consume music now is completely differently. It's. I mean, it might be an age thing because, you know, if you're... 14 to like 18 you're incredibly receptive to new art including music and you might be more inclined to kind of go down these rabbit holes to really spend the time researching there's a really lovely song in maquette which was a a puzzle game on ps5 and i believe pc and a perna um game that had some lovely needle drops in as well and but again i can't remember the song title something about a rocket building a rocket something like that that I can't remember the artist's name so I worry uh, that maybe it's either me and my age or my forgetfulness <laughs> or it's the fact that you can go straight to, to Spotify, Apple Music, yeah. drop it into your playlist or whatever or listen to it a couple of times and then just forget all about it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I, I don't know if the attachments uh, are as strong as they used to be. Um, and I can imagine that, that game designers go out of the, their way to make sure something doesn't repeat too often, like a needle drop doesn't repeat too often or particular... Yeah. So, yeah, I wonder if it's got a little bit weaker. But then, of course, we've had examples of really, really good and inventive artists doing whole soundtracks, and and they must be finding a lot of fans, like um, Sea Power for um, Disco Elysium, as we said, Berlinist for Greece. I'd like to hope that they're finding a lot of new fans through having done the whole soundtrack and really engaged with the game and the aesthetic of the game. I was, I was thinking about this earlier, and... I I really I think they are because even for artists that have not done entire soundtracks, I've gone to uh, so I, there's been so many occasions where I've heard a track in a game and then YouTubed it afterwards, and all of the top comments are from people like me who have played the game, especially on tracks from independent artists. You know, so message to bears. Um, Based down south, uh, a guy called Jerome, fantastic acoustic guitarist. He's got a track that plays during a really pivotal moment in the first Life is Strange game.
he's not that big an artist, you know what I mean? He's always been quite small. And this track called Mountains that plays in Life is Strange, all of the top-rated comments of that are just from Life is Strange fans. And it's got millions of views just talking. And I think there's something in the idea that the fandom around a game series is always, or at least nine times out of ten, going to be more powerful than the fandom surrounding a single album, right? Do you know what I mean? Because people get around fans, and because I'm, I'm not by any means saying that fan culture doesn't exist in music, like there's Taylor Swift stands, Blackpink stands, whatever else, like these artists have huge, like, massive fan bases but bts yeah exactly but i think there's something very powerful about the way players unite around certain franchises game franchises and that almost becomes their identity do you know what i mean yeah and i think when you can tie music into that it's that whole kind of so let's say for life is strange fans i love life is strange what's this band called Daughter, who have just done Before the Storm. Oh, wow. I really enjoyed playing Before the Storm. Now I love Before the Storm. Now I love Daughter. And then that band, by association with the game fandom, becomes immersed in that world as well. Do you know what I mean? And then it kind of spreads out. So I think there's a really powerful thing there where I think, I'm not calling daughter small because they're not small but where artists aren't absolutely massive and they go on to compose a game soundtrack like i wonder how many people listen to 65 days of static now because they found 65 days of static yeah through no man's sky do you know what i mean or hudson mohawk and Watch Dogs 2 yeah you kind of wish there were more examples yeah it kind of I, yeah i kind of wish every time you see a, a quote unquote smaller artist you know or an artist who's 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 coming up mm. tap into a video game community um hopefully it's a good experience um and uh, and yeah as you say game fans get really attached don't they to songs I've, we've seen that with devil may cry 5 yeah not a moment goes by on laced socials that people aren't asking for the um the dlc or the expansion devil may cry 5 five song on on vinyl uh i don't even know i, I don't think it's by an out, outside artist i think it's a sort of commission thing but um but i know that devil my cry five has had a couple of songs now as part of the soundtrack they were written for the game as far as i know and the fans have just really taken those songs and those artists to their heart and uh, we know obviously there's other singers and performers on on soundtracks that might do work outside of games like emmy evans for near who you know hopefully they've they've take it they've got their following from the games and and gone on I, do we we're, we're kind of talking around like music artists outside of games i did think that uh, i mean i've discovered both of us have discovered flipping hundreds of composers through video game soundtracks and those composers often do other things and, and are kind of music artists separately as well i guess you could say it's not a great example but you know i i didn't discover bear mccreary through the god of war soundtrack but i began to really rate him because of the god of war 2018 soundtrack and then when he did his rings of power which is a tv show by amazon uh, soundtrack i fell you know head over heels in love with that um gustavo santalaya 
was you know has done has had the most storied career ever you should everyone should listen to an a podcast interview that he did with Edith Bowman on her soundtracking podcast um i mean he's done everything he's been everywhere but he's done film scores as well so he's not wasn't new to the world of soundtracks before he did the last of us um but you can imagine there's quite a few people who discovered him for the first time through The Last of Us and hopefully went back and listened to older albums, his amazing film scores. And then I've also listened to Masashi Hamauzu's work outside of games. He's done a classical album. I mean, they're still tied a little bit to his game soundtrack. Some of his saga stuff is kind of reworked for his classical albums. Uh, so you, they're kind of like cross, classical crossover, I guess, works and stuff. But still, he's a a music artist outside of games as well as a prominent um, game composer. So yeah, that, I did think that you know, new music doesn't have to just mean music artists. No, not not at all. There's, I mean, if you look back to, so there's a guy called Martin Iverson um, who's known by the alias at Jazz. He was a soundtrack composer and a sound designer in the early nights of video games and now is a massive house DJ. Um, there's other people like that as well. The composer for a game called Wetrix, if you remember oh, yeah. that on the N64. Yeah, that was like, yeah. Yeah, like a weird puzzle game. He's an acid techno composer now, but I think the best example that I can think of is obviously Ape Escape's composer Soichi Tarada, who is a massive house DJ now, and he's always he's always been a house DJ. So he was a house DJ when he got the gig to write music for Ape Escape. But obviously, the music in the Ape Escape games has become so popular. It's one of those. You know what I mean? People get so nostalgic about the music in those games because it's a perfect fusion of kind of like wacky jazzy drum and bass and a bit jungly but while also amassing all of those vibes that people associate with 90s game soundtracks I don't know how we've got this far. You've just reminded me without mentioning Mizuguchi and Res and, you know, uh, Luminaire's Space Channel 5. But the Res soundtrack is so influential. And, uh, you know, a lot of people really went deep into into that style of music Or, or they'd never heard that kind of music before. And the game sold them on, you know, kind of electro- that kind of electronica and that kind of experience. So I think that that's another important thing, right? Because we've been talking about how people have discovered new music specifically, I think in terms of tracks and artists, but we've not specifically mentioned genres, but that's such an important part of it as well, because yes. yeah, yeah. I definitely got into techno music 
through playing games like Res, because I never really, until I went to university, I never really had any friends who listened to club music. Like, it's something that I've only got into through reluctantly kind of going to nightclubs with them because it was never really my scene. Mm. But I say reluctantly, I absolutely loved it because I was done in. <laughs> um, but it was never the music I listened to. It was only when I heard this music in game soundtracks. And again, I guess by association with something that I love, video games, that it creates that kind of mutual, do you know what I mean? It makes things easier to get into because if you're playing a video game and you're really into that video game, you're probably going to be into the music that's supporting it, unless it's yeah. really, really intrusive. And and that's what they that's what they worked out with Grand Theft Auto the 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 genre based stations, isn't it? You, like I I've definitely got a new appreciation for certain eras of hip hop. Yeah, from San Andreas. Um, I know a lot of people kind of got back into eighties pop through Vice City. And then interestingly, like something like Sleeping Dogs, I don't know if you remember, they had a couple of, well, they had all sorts of different, quite a weird cross-section of radio stations. They had stuff that was like traditional Chinese music and then more modern Chinese pop. And then they actually worked with two different labels directly. One assumes their budget was a lot smaller than the Grand Theft Autos at the time. So they actually worked with labels. um, It must have been Warp and I think Roadrunner. So a rock and an electronica label. And there's a there's a track Ultra Fizz. Um, and I actually funnily enough, at the time back at that time I was managing an artist who was working in kind of maximalist electronica so i actually already knew that track before i played the game but riding around in the sort of rainy streets of of hong kong or the sleeping dog city with that track playing just really cemented the idea that this number one this is an amazing track but number two i actually quite like this kind of music despite you know it not being a natural kind of thing i would have sought out before and quick bit of trivia because that was essentially the sequel to True Crime, right? In terms of that was... Streets of LA and Streets of New York, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, fun fact, True Crime, Streets of LA, the soundtrack release for that game had the biggest ever collection of original West Coast hip-hop music that had ever been put together in a compilation. So not not just for a video game, because there's so many people who wrote original music for that soundtrack. Not for the game, but for the soundtrack, because game soundtracks were massive during that era as well, right? I think Halo 3 did something ridiculous, like 200k sales or something, physical CD copies. But the sound cr- soundtrack for True Crime, Streets of LA, sold incredibly well. And I, I remember that soundtrack fondly, because it's got um, Funkadelic... Knee deep, the. <laughs> you know, from Keenan and Kel. Not, not Keenan and Kel, Good Burger. And that, that track always stays with me. But I think just to summarize, I reached out, well, we both reached out to quite a lot of people just to basically get their thoughts as well in terms of how important have video games been for them as a music discovery platform. Um, a guy called Nicholas Rankin, basically summarizing what we were talking about earlier. Um, He actually learned about several new artists thanks to the Fallout games. 
Um, Anthony Nellist says WWE Day of Reckoning. That playlist was stacked. Breaking Benjamin was my favourite band from the game. I think also Breaking Benjamin did that Halo track, right? Breaking Benjamin did a Halo 2 track and it became one of their biggest songs. Blow me away. Breaking Benjamin, blow me away. And that is a massive Halo 2 tune and it's class. Stephen Kenwright says, Ben Out 3 had a bunch of bands I listened to already, but definitely introduced me to Amber Pacific, Mud Men, The Bouncing Souls, 18 Visions, even bands I didn't really care for sounded good on it, like the ordinary boys over the counter culture. <laughs> um, it actually reminds me, back in, so Neil Davidge, who's the Massive Attack producer, among yes. others, Halo did 4. the Halo 4 soundtrack. Yep. We, so the artist I was managing back then, Bobby Tank, we got commissioned to do a remix for Halo 4, for like a remix album off the side. So, so there's we um, and we've only just touched on that. There's of course exposure opportunities around video games, even if the track isn't in the game itself. Yeah. But just occasionally, as part of you know marketing campaigns or whatever, you know, a push for the soundtrack. Wait until you hear what I've got in store for you in our <laughs> sixty second, because that is exactly that a uh, track from an album that was put together purely for promotion. Count me officially teased. Um, <laughs> Any final thoughts on on music discovery? Just going back to the Deloitte finding, so forty nine percent of of gamers, however that's defined, you know, said that they found new music through soundtracks. I mean, there's so many different avenues, aren't there? We've touched on so much, so many examples from our memory. The one thing we've not touched on is how important all of this is to the music industry, right? Because there was a time when I believe it was Aerosmith with, you know, when Guitar Hero did the special themed editions and Rock Band did it as well, where you'd have... Beatles, Aerosmith. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So Aerosmith, and this is according to Activision CEO Bobby Kotick, Aerosmith made more money from their themed version of Guitar Hero than any of their album sales combined, which is mind-blowing. And it makes sense, right? Because when these Guitar Hero games were coming out... This was when the music industry was struggling with piracy. So these games kind of fell at the perfect time from a sync perspective because they were generating sales through the licensing of music, or at least mo- most artists where there's... I've definitely read quite a lot of stories where bands lent their music to games like Guitar Hero and didn't really see a penny from it in terms of whatever money you'd, ex- whatever money you'd associate with the exposure afterwards. But the big bands were definitely getting paid but I don't think it's just a money thing either so there's an interview that I read in Loudwire with John Feldman who's the lead singer for Goldfinger um, who's track Superman which starts with that snare drum the that is pretty much 
the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater soundtrack, right? Do you know what I mean? That is the track that is synonymous with Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. When you talk about Tony Hawk's Pro Skater music, you <laughs> cannot not mention Goldfinger's Superman. Like, it, it's just... I think it was in Tony Hawk's 1, in Tony Hawk's 2, but their lead singer basically said it wasn't until they were touring with Bloodhound Gang in the UK and they played Superman and a circle pit opened up and Feldman says it was the biggest pit of the entire night. There was not a moment in Bloodhound Gang's set that surpassed that. And afterwards they were like, why is this happening? Like, what? why are more kids going crazier to us than Bloodhound Gang? And he put two and two together and it was because Pro Skater had just come out like a couple of weeks before and so obviously Tony Hawk's Pro Skater sold millions of copies and so many people had heard that music. And I'm like, wow, like I went out after playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, I went out and bought every single one of Goldfinger's albums on CD. Like genuinely, like as a how what, ten, eleven year old kid. So I think it's that as well. Do you know what I mean? There's so many people like me and you and whoever else out there who have heard this music and back before Spotify was a thing, and I mean YouTube was around but didn't use it that much for music, you'd go out and buy music. So you'd hear a band in a video game soundtrack and you'd go out and you'd buy the physical product, which probably down the line then translates into merch sales or ticket sales, festival sales tickets, right? All all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, and as we've alluded to, I worry that the, in the streaming age, it's so kind of seamless yeah. that maybe those relationships between art that you know the listener the artist and the game aren't quite as strong like you can hear a song you love stick it in your playlist and then forget all about the band you might not go out and see them you might not buy the merch i don't know that's true i'm just it's uh, not it's not the same as taking a sony ericsson walkman to italy and carrying goldfinger around in it yeah yeah, yeah. you know all the friction that used to exist in listening to music and playing and playing games perhaps created you know a bit more stickiness between um potential fans and artists that they hadn't they hadn't heard before well great discussion man thank you okay we're going to move on to done in 60 seconds where we each bring something it could be music it could be something else and we've only got 60 seconds to recommend it to each other uh and then we'll Maybe take a listen and see what everyone else thinks. So I think I'll go first this time. Uh, I think it's my turn. I'm going to set my timer. Matt, I have an extraordinary find this time. Air Twister is a little discussed 2022 Apple Arcade game by Yu Suzuki's studio EaseNet. Uh, It's a fantasy take on his classic Sega AM2 game, Space Harrier. And the soundtrack is unbelievable. It's by this Dutch composer, Valencia, who has nailed that kind of queen operatic sound. You know the bits from the middle sections of Bohemian Rhapsody? This guy does that amazingly. You never would think that a fantasy shooter would go well with this kind of music. I'm not sure it does. It is the weird aesthetic crossover. Um, But uh, apparently Suzuki just um, Facebooked this guy and he said yes. And that's how it happened, and it's uh, it's absolutely bonkers. And, and I recommend everyone check out the <laughs> the soundtrack to Air Twister. Nothing can live, nothing can live 
So that is absolutely fantastic. I do not need to tell you about how passionate I am about needing more prog rock in video games. <laughs> so hearing that is just... It's, it's basically what if Queen wrote a video game soundtrack, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's perfect. Well, what if Freddie Mercury recorded a video game soundtrack, I'd say? It's, it's definitely on that kind of... That side of Queen's material. Yeah. Um, so, so if you don't like that side of Queen's material, <laughs> don't go and search it out. So, uh, Matt, what have you got for me? Pulseman was released on the Virtual Sega Mega Drive from the Nintendo Switch, I believe, just over a week ago. It is one of Game Freak's earliest games with a lot of the same staff that went on to work on Pokemon, including Composer and the now director of the Pokemon company, Junichi Masuda. I would urge everybody listening to this to listen to the Pulseman OST because it's not so much Pokemon's music being Pokemon music as it is Masuda's music just sounding like that. It's incredible. But rather than play you a load of original music through Pulseman, I'm going to play you a remix of a track that came out on a 1994 arranged album put out by Frogman Records. And this track is called Beatrice, remixed by Resistance D. Let's, uh, let's give it a listen. It's it's hard again, Matt. You've gone you've gone hard again. It's uh, I mean it's not hard hard, but it's it's pretty hard. I'd say it's really really good. It's kind of classy and sophisticated, but also really basic house at the same yeah. time, isn't it? So it's sort of really easy to get your ear around it. But there's layers of sort of sonic sophistication there. So yeah, another classic hard deep cut from Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's all we have time for this time on the GXM podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on our exploration at the intersection between our two favourite things, video games and music. Please be sure to subscribe and maybe leave us a review on your podcast service of choice, especially Apple Podcasts, please. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GXM Podcast. I'm at T Quillfelt on Twitter. That's T Q I L L F E L D T. Matt is at Matt Ombler on Twitter. That's Matt with only one T. If you've got any feedback, comments, complaints, corrections, or anything like that, uh, hit us up at gxmpodcast at gmail.com. The episode was produced by both of us. It was edited by me, Tom Q, and music is by Zach Foster. So, Deloitte, you know, I should probably, Deloitte, 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 okay, thank you, right, let's start that again.